This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Its continuing mission to explore strange new worlds. Boldly go where no one has gone before. Engage. Engage. Enterprise. Enterprise. This is Captain Jean-Luc Picard. Captain Captain Janeway. Captain Sisko. This is Captain Jonathan Archer. Red alert. Photon torpedoes. Fire. The official Star Trek podcast. Engage. Engage. Make it so. With your host, Jordan Hoffman. That, sir, is illogical. Let's make sure history never forgets. This is Engage. Sailing frequencies open, Okay, welcome back, everybody. Welcome back to Deck 44 for another episode of Engage, the official Star Trek podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Hoffman, at Jay Hoffman on Twitter. Uh, Facebook is uh, Engage, the official Star Trek podcast, dot Facebook, dot something or other. I don't know. But uh, we got a great uh, episode. It's been a, a couple of weeks since we've been here on Deck 44. I was away. I was down in Florida, Brian. I was with my niece and nephew at Universal Studios, Florida. Really? And, you know, they got the Spider-Man ride, they got the Minions ride, they got the, the friggin' uh, Shrek ride. They got a lot down there. Where They got the King Kong ride. Where the heck's the Star Trek ride? That's a good question. That would be great for uh, no, someday. You know, it's, rides. In, it's in Germany. Uh. They have a Star Trek ride in Germany, and it's a roller coaster. It's not like one of these... Um, at Universal, it's a lot of like screens and 3D, and but the line, I know it's like I went to the, I watched the the art. There was a video of the German new Star Trek ride, and it was like, yeah, roller coaster, roller coaster. But the line is where it's at, you know, all the Starfleet stuff, and it looks really cool. So you got to go to Germany, and one day they'll have the one in Jordan they're talking about. You know, there's been ta- they're talking about doing like a Star Trek theme park as part of a as a section, as a world in a theme park that's going to be about all of human history. So like ancient history, Roman history, you know, and then also the future. And the future is allegedly going to be Star Trek theme. Interesting. Yeah, because the- pre- to, to go from real history to, you know, science yeah. fiction. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, because the president, the king of Jordan, King Hus- um, no, Hussein was the father. The son is named King Abdullah. Is a huge Star Trek fan. He wow, was, he, no was he had a um, non-speaking role in Voyager. Really? Yes, he did. <laughs> he's such a Star Trek fan. He was then Prince Abdullah. He went. He was in California, and he said, "They're like Prince Abdullah. What do you want to do? The State Department. What do you want to do when you're here in, in America? I want to go to the Star Trek set. This is true. I'm wow. not making this up. <laughs> so they brought Prince Abdullah to the set of Voyager, and they said, "Prince Abdullah, we 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 have a costume for you." And he put on the costume, and they said, "Guess what? We're shooting. You're an extra today." And he has a line. Uh, Harry Kim says something to him, and he nods. It's on YouTube. <laughs> I've actually ri- I, ri- I wrote about it. I, there's a there's a one Trek mind column about it on StarTrek.com. Is can, he playing a human or is he playing an alien? He plays or? a human. Okay, and he is Harry Kim gives him an order, and he goes. He gives him a nod like an eye eye. <laughs> he couldn't speak because he wasn't in the Screen Actors Guild. Oh, so he had to just nod. 
That's that's one of the weirdest little footnotes in Star Trek. Seriously. Um, speaking of footnotes in Star Trek, today's episode is about it's something that I hold very dear. We're going to talk about um, Star Trek music. I don't mean like the scores, or you know, I'm not, I'm not talking about James Horner's brilliant score to Wrath of Khan. We're talking about William Shatner's The Transformed Man. We're talking about Leonard Nimoy's folk singing career. When you love something, as we love Star Trek, we love it all. And we find a way to embrace the unembraceable. (laughs) (laughs) So we're going to have a great guest on. We're going to dial in through the magic of Skype our friend Nathan Rabin, who is a pop culture critic and has made a bit of a career of himself uh, for himself, uh, finding the things to love in what is frequently reviled. He's written about uh, things of this nature for his whole career. So uh, and Nathan is a, is, a, is a chum and a colleague that I've known for a very long time, and I've wanted to have him on the show for a long time. So that's going to be happening soon. But before we do that, we have two, orders, uh, two pieces of business to take care of. One, I've been on the show for a while. There were some new Discovery images. Red alert. Red alert. We have um, some new images that came out of Discovery. They're in Entertainment Weekly. Uh, by now, it's old news. It was a few days ago. Uh, number one, we saw the captain, uh, Jason Isaacs, captain of the Discovery, in his uniform. He looks great. Doesn't he look great? He looks blue. He, he does look blue? Well, he doesn't look blue. His, his <laughs> uniform is <laughs> uniform blue. Uniform is blue with the, with, the, and, with the gold trim. And the lighting behind him is blue. It, you don't really see. They're still holding the reveal of the bridge of the Discovery, but you can kind of see it out of focus, impressionistic painting over his shoulders, and it looks fabulous. Now, the other thing you see is, I didn't know what the heck it was until I read the caption, but we saw the transporter room, and I'm very curious about that, because it didn't look like any teleporter I'd seen before. It looked like, uh, it looked like, like the, um, what is the part of a, of a speaker, the one that on the bottom, like a woofer? Subwoofer. The thing that's like a, that's a circular um, you know, like the the circular bit at the bottom of a speaker. Bottom of it looked like that. It looked like a deflector dish, or a woofer, or a tweeter, or whatever the heck it is. <laughs> I don't know much about stereo s- systems. I probably should, but, but <laughs> all I know is that is I looked at it and I'm like, oh, they're in some weird room. It looked like a roller rink from the seventies. I'm like, what is this weird roller rink? Gold and black, weird looking room, and it's like that's the transport room. And I went like, what? the hell are you talking about? And they said, you know what? It's one shot. Let, I'm really curious to see what the heck's going on. So it did the job. It got me curious. I recognize the fact that Discovery's transporter room is going to look like Discovery's transporter room. It's not going to look like the transporter room we expect. But if it looks cool, that's the way it's going to be. You know, bring it on. You know, let's see some changes. Let's see some new stuff, for God's sakes. Now, um, is there? Uh, don't we have another piece of news too a uh, premiere date yes yes well we always knew it was going to be fall and now we officially have the date of september 24th. 24th so less than three months oh my god september 24th now i'm getting nervous september 24th is coming up and it's going to be on regular cbs that's correct episode one episode two is going to air is going to be available that same night on all access yes unless you live in england in which case it's the next day i think that part I don't know. <laughs> yeah, you got to check. You know, we'll get the, b- between now and then. I will be fully briefed, and then you will be fully briefed. So don't panic just yet. But when the time comes, we're gonna know. 
Uh, allegedly, um, we're going to know a lot more when the, when when things are going on. But for right now, we're just right there with you. We got three months to prepare to look at every image on Entertainment Weekly and salivate. It's starting to look cool. Now, if you're like me, you are so excited by these images of Star Trek Discovery that you want to save them on your computer, Brian. I certainly do. And what if you don't have enough room on your hard drive? Well, maybe you should get a new one, a, f- <laughs> a better, faster one. Uh, as you may or may not know, this show is currently sponsored by WD. What the heck does WD stand Western for? Western Digital. Western Digital. WD, uh, Western Digital, is the makers of the greatest and most uh, uh, reliable and well-priced external hard drives and solid-state hard drives that you could imagine. And with WD, you are now able to get solid state drives and hard drives to fit your unique needs. When you add the superior performance of a WD solid state drive to your PC, you get, write this down, you get blazing read speeds so you can boot your system quickly or load games and other applications in a snap. You can keep all seven seasons of of next generation on there. Combined with a reliable WD hard drive, you get up to six terabytes of storage to keep your games library, direct feed videos, podcasts, and more all in a single place. For a limited time, engaged listeners, that's you, can get 20% off select WD Solid State drives with the coupon code WDENGAGE, would engage. It's all one word, W-D-E-N-G-A-G-E, capital letters probably, would engage is the actual code. To find out more at WD.com slash engage, and as I mentioned, it is a uh, select uh, amount of solid state drives, um, 250 gigabyte, 500 gigabyte, uh, the blue, the black one, you got to look at them specifically, the ones on WD.com slash engage. Great way to keep your stuff in a separate place. So if you drop your laptop one too many times, you got your stuff stored. Woof. So with that, we got a lot going on on this show. Let's get right to it. We're going to talk to our friend Nathan and reflect on the musical stylings of William Shatner and Leonard Nimoy. Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. This is Engage, Engage. the official Star Trek podcast. Energize. Uh, and we're back, and uh, this is very exciting. Working. We um, have on the line, on the communicator... A guest that I've wanted to have on the show pretty much since since we started this. I said one of these days we're going to do an episode about um, an aspect of Star Trek fandom that is sometimes misunderstood. You know, when you love something like we love Star Trek, we love it all. And even the stuff that other people kind of make fun of, we don't exactly think it's great, but we, we like it in a way that's different. And there is one man out there in the world of pop culture that understands things that are bad in a way that few others do, that embraces <laughs> embraces failure in a way that no one else can. And I speak, of course, of the man who's uh, really made a career out of writing about flops. He has the world of flops, the life of flops, the year of flops. We're talking about Nathan Raven, of course. Nathan, you're on the phone, right? 
Oh my goodness, I certainly am. Oh. Uh, and I'm, you, you cannot see me, but I'm blushing. I'm a deep shade of red at your incredibly generous uh, introduction. Well, uh, you know, uh, Nathan has been a pop culture writer for a zillion years, a zillion Earth years. Uh, he's written for, you know, every outlet uh, around um, for many, many years, was a head writer at AV Club and, um, uh, you know, has a string, you know, writes for Vanity Fair sometimes uh, now and writes for um, Rotten Tomatoes and also writes for his own website, which is at NathanRabin.com, which is called Nathan Rabin's Happy Place. And uh, has written a number of books, including uh, a coffee table book about Weird Al Yankovic, and um, also a book that I think kind of ties into what we're going to talk about today. The title is You Don't Know Me, But You Hate Me, right? Is that the correct title? You Don't Know Me, But You Don't Like Me. Right. <laughs> See, uh, but it's appropriate. I, I always try and write a book title that nobody can remember <laughs> or get correctly. Uh, that's, that's always my That's always my aim. I made it a little more violent. I went from you don't like me to you hate me, which is even worse. Yeah. Which is Nathan's... It probably wouldn't be uh, ter terribly uh, inaccurate either, <laughs> the subject matter. This book is a celebration of two very hardcore subcultures that you may not know, but you may dislike. And one of them, which is a, a great bonding experience for Nathan and I, is, is the fandom of Fish, with a band that I love, and they love Star Trek, by the way, so there's a nice connective tissue there. But yeah, he, yeah. And, and Nathan went to his first Fish show ready to roll his eyes and became a huge fan. And also about the insane clown posse, which is where Nathan and I may be part company a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> because, again, you went to your first ICP show just going, who are these weirdos, the, the, the following, what are they called? The gathering and the, uh, the juggalos and all that. And I just discovered that uh, this year's they're going to have uh, addition to Vanilla Ice, who's long time been a, a member of the family, but never actually, I've never seen him perform live, uh, which is a terrible shortcoming in my life. Uh, but there's going to be a I actually have seen him perform live. <laughs> when he went through his metal phase, I saw it a couple, like once or twice, I think, actually. Oh my god! One of one of, honestly, one of my favorite all-time live performances was MC Hammer at the Gathering of the Juggalos. <laughs> uh, it was literally it was like four thirty in the afternoon. You know, it's, it's MC Hammer, so he was probably fifty-three years old. But he was performing as if his life depended upon it. Wow. It was like an almost transcendent experience. Uh, so, yeah, you never really know. And this year, there's going to be water parks uh, and a juggalo ventriloquist. Wow. Uh, so that, that might change your mind. That might get you to, to head on out to Oklahoma City this year. Wow. Uh, well, you know, in, in your book, which I read, uh, I voraciously read, uh, you make a really strong case about Juggalo fandom being in a way kind of cool and nice and and they really do reach out to people that feel that they're not um uh, respected in other spheres and then you got to the bit where you said the, the big question you want to know is do i actually like the music and you confessed that although you recognize that it is not perhaps the most um, you know from a musicology or music theory point of view it may not be the most uh complex or uh, intricate, you actually do eventually grow to like ICP's music. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I come to love them. Not everything that they do, but I come to really enjoy their music. I come to really enjoy their performances. I come to actually be as excited uh, about sort of the music itself as the sort of crazy wow. culture that kind of is built up around them. Well, you know, I do not sympathize. I empathize because if you strap me to a, uh, a lie detector, the truth of the matter is that there are some songs recorded by Leonard Nimoy 
that are actually, I find to be quite moving, Uh, particularly his recording of You Are Not Alone, which was an original track that he recorded on his first album that I genuinely think of is a good song that moves me emotionally. And when when, when Nimoy died, uh, I wrote an obituary for him in The Guardian, and I cited that as an example of perhaps fandom gone amok, but some of his music really isn't all that bad. Now, when you get to William Shatner, that's another story. (laughs) So today we're going to talk about uh, the Golden Throats. Today we're going to talk about our two great heroes in Star Trek, Leonard Nimoy and William Shatner, who both at the height of uh, Star Trek's popularity, um, right at the offset, began uh, recording careers. And they have been both duly mocked for it ever since. Uh, Shatner a little bit more than Nimoy, but they but but Shatner's come around and, and was able to, to turn that into part of his uh, part of his appeal. And you know he had a little bit of a renaissance in the early two thousands. So uh, you know uh, it's 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 something that we as the Star Trek podcast have to embrace and accept and find <laughs> find a way to love. So um, so that that's what it is. So Nathan, let me ask you: When when did you first hear the music of of Leonard Nimoy and or William Shatner? That that is a good question. I think I first uh, heard the music of Leonard Nimoy was uh, all of the music on my iTunes was wiped out, so I borrowed. Uh, I guess I accessed uh, legally, of course. Yeah. I would never legally download music. Uh, somebody else's thing, and one of the things that they had was a Leonard Nimoy greatest hits. Uh, so this is weird. Even before I kind of had you know sort of the semi assignment to listen to all this music uh, for this podcast, I had listened to Leonard Nimoy before and. And as you sort of said, there's something really striking about it. Uh, There are a couple of things that I think make this um, worth revisiting. One of which is it's incredibly personal. You really get the sense that Leonard Nimoy is trying to convey something uh, to the world about who he is, how he sees humanity, how he sees the universe. Um, And on one hand, it's it's kind of silly and kind of pretentious. Uh, The other hand, it's it's kind of uh, endearing. Uh, because there's just this weird sincerity that you don't necessarily expect from a novelty album where half of the songs are in character as Spock. Yeah. Uh, so, and the other, th- the other, uh, you know, the other, couple other things that really struck me is the um, the production, you know, sort of the arrangements are just really lush and really professional. Uh, and I found myself thinking, like, if I was a viola player, uh, a session musician, you know, <laughs> in 1967, they're like, oh, who, who, who am I uh, playing the viola for this afternoon? Uh, it's going to be Eddie Arnold. It's going to be Elvis Presley. Is it going to be, you know, uh, Dolly Parton? And they're like, well, there's a, a dude who plays an alien on TV. Uh, so he, he's going to do some folk songs. And you're going to, to back him up. I'm like, yeah, whatever. So that uh, I found really, really fascinating. Um, that it's such a, yeah, again, such a weirdly sincere uh, bit of, you know, uh, television cross promotion from yeah. 1967. Well, that's how it definitely started. It started as television cross promotion, and 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 then it evolved. Um, I'll, I'll take you through the history of of how these albums uh, started, and from back in the day. Um, you know, Nimoy did the first one, and then Shatner did one, and then Shatner did only one because what could top the Transformed Man? <laughs> and then Nimoy did probably Sergeant Pepper's Only Heart Club. <laughs> it's a same misconceived spoken word Shakespeare album. Uh, it really yeah. is. 
uh, but then Nimoy did uh, four more, believe it or not, and then and then it subsided, and then they both did um, some additional albums. If you root around some spoken word stuff, and then later in their careers, they they went back to recording in unique ways. Nimoy founded with John Delancey Q. Uh, the Alien Voices uh, label, which did uh, like audio books, uh, kind of like theater of the mind uh, audio books with uh, sound effects. And then Shatner, when he was in his Priceline negotiator, Denny Crane um, uh, persona did some kind of tongue in cheek, goofy albums that were to me kind of smacked of. Um, Tommy Wiseau of the room saying, oh, yeah, yeah, that was only a joke. I was only kidding and did some kind of intentionally goofy stuff. It was kicked off, believe it or not, by Ben Folds. He was the first one that brought him back to uh, oh, the has been. Album. Yeah, the has yeah. been. Album. But that that was that's that's an interesting album because that's <laughs> another thing, too, where there is a weird element of sincerity to it, where part of it is kind of this weird camp. And then part of it also is sort of this like I genuinely think that uh, William Shatner thinks of himself as a poet, uh, in addition to being a thespian. Yeah, uh, yeah. He, yeah. He d- again, he's, like, he's, he's serious about this in a way that's um, sad and interesting and fascinating, kind of all at the same time. Well, the thing about Shatner is he never wants anyone to forget that he is a classically trained actor, and he did do Shakespeare <laughs> as, a, as a kid, as a young man in, in, in Canada. And... Um, you know, I think that, and he said this himself. If you watch his his movie, The Captains, he always he always you know wondered if he was sullying himself a tiny bit by doing episodic television. Whereas Patrick Stewart was always took it very seriously from the get go. Um, and you know, I having seen Shatner's one man show on Broadway, uh, you know, he is a good storyteller. You know, he went and 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 he does get very poetic. And when we get to the late 70s part of their recording career we can talk about the amazing uh video of him doing the spoken word version of rocket man which is a you know a a, a pop culture milestone non-pareil i would say but my my own personal uh experience was um the first album which was called um Oh heck! The actual title is uh, Leonard Nimoy sings songs. Oh, I had the link up here for a moment. Yeah, it's it's one of the most yeah ponderous titles. Yeah, no, I should have it memorized. Leonard Nimoy presents Mistress Spock's music from outer space, which, which <laughs> is my Star Trek. Right, which was the first album that was put out. Um, Desi Lu when Star Trek started, even though the, the ratings weren't high, it always had a tremendous uh, following, and uh, they knew that they could cross market this, so they. Uh, Desilu slash Paramount slash blah, blah, blah. There was a subsidiary recording uh, company that they could all do it sort of in-house. And they put out this album, and the cover was uh, Leonard Nimoy in the guise of Mr. Spock holding a model of the Enterprise. And the album was uh, about a third uh, instrumentals of, of <laughs> with very 60s pop to uh, that were reminiscent of Star Trek songs, and, and we'll get to that in a moment. Then there were some novelty songs that were either funny or like spoken word science fiction um in, including a uh, journey to a strange planet which is like a twi- almost twilight zoney and then finally there was a couple of just covers of what was popular at the time including where is love from uh this show oliver oliver twist uh which was a popular song at the time now i uncovered this later i am i was not old enough for this and uh what i i the first time i heard this music was there was a repackaging 
of this album on cassette, if you could imagine such a thing Ooh, called, called cassette. And it was called You Are Not Alone. And it was basically most of this album with a couple of things cut off. So it was a very short cassette. And I bought it kind of as a goof because I was huge into Star Trek at the time. Um, you know, uh, my this this would have been just as TNG had started, but you know, I was still rediscovering uh, the original uh, series, and I was obsessed with it. So I bought this, and it was also in the cheap bin. So I figured, ah, how bad it can be? It's three ninety nine. So the first thing that you hear was uh, the theme from Star Trek, which you got to remember for people listening that are younger. We didn't have access to YouTube and Spotify and all that crap. If you wanted to hear this theme from Star Trek on your own, you couldn't just do it. You couldn't just will it. You had to have it somewhere in physical form. So I'm like, yeah, I'll spend four bucks and have this because it'll be a theme from Star Trek. Uh, But actually, I soon discovered, much to my delight, that it was not the typical theme. It went a little something like, Brian, do we have the one that's called? Yeah. All right. So dig this. This is like monkeys... And there's like the groovy Hammond organ. And here we go. (laughs) So that's like the twangy guitar version of the Alexander Courage theme. And what happened was, let's just let it play through for a few more seconds. Because we get some vocals coming in. Brian, let's crank it just for a moment. All right, all right, that's enough, that's enough. So when I was a young lad, I was 12, 13, something like that, my initial thought was I was at first a little bit annoyed because it wasn't the actual theme from the show. I felt that I'd been duped by this cassette that I bought. But then I immediately recognized that this kind of like swinging, groovy, rockin' version was actually kind of good. And like the drums we're kind of kick ass. There's like a little bit at the end where there's like a drum break and a, a drum break and it kind of goes like wipe out a little bit. And I, I was like, this is actually good. And I would play it for friends who would mock me incessantly. But I'm like, this kind of rocks a little bit, doesn't it? And of course they said no. But nevertheless, I was deeply, <laughs> uh, deeply delighted by it. And um, there were a couple of other instrumental. The instrumentals are the ones that that really had friends mock me. Let me, Brian, would you play this for, for a moment? Uh, the one that was called um, Where No Man Has Gone Before. All right, so it starts off just like traditional on the show. All right, all right, so pretty straightforward. And we start to hear electric bass in there. It's not quite as it is, but still that viola player that Nathan mentioned is getting his payday here. <laughs> Now, <laughs> so I don't even know what what instrument that is. Is that like an electric recorder, or is that just like an early synthesizer? Sounds like the Legend of Zelda. Yeah. <laughs> so this has got like a little bit of that late '60s sort of pop psychedelic incense and peppermints thing going on. But Nathan, here come the vocals. If you want to sing along, let's crank this, Brian. <laughs> okay. All right, all right, that's enough. 
I tell you, I brought this tape with me to summer camp, and I was beaten to a pulp when it was. <laughs> everyone else was listening to Metallica. Um, what does that make you think of, Nathan, when you hear this this type of uh, instrumentation of the Star Trek Honestly, theme? When, when I think of that, uh, I also was was very impressed by it. Uh, when I think of it, I think about like kind of nuggets. I think about kind of garage rock. Uh, from the late 60s, the mid 60s, kind of have that Hammond, Oregon. You have that kind of like funky, dirty kind of sound. I remember, you know, listening to that. They also have a kind of similar version of the Mission Impossible theme. Uh, and thinking like, if I was a DJ, that would be like a really cool thing to sample because <laughs> uh, it sounds familiar, but it also sounds weird and off at the same time. Um, it's interesting, actually, kind of uh, thinking about this. I recently read uh, the memoir from uh, Bob Crane's son. Oh, wow. Yeah. It was a similar sort of thing where he was a drummer, you know, like that was kind of his thing before, you know, he became, became a DJ. So he also had his own novelty album, and it consisted of him playing the drums for a series of uh, TV show theme songs. And I remember looking at that thinking how incredibly stupid and pointless, but I hadn't thought about what you just said about the YouTube thing, whereas if you wanted to hear, you know, I don't know, the Gilligan's Island theme song, uh, I outside of the context of watching Gilgo Island, you probably like this would be a pretty good pretty good thing to do. And it's also a testament to how insane people were for Bob Crane, for Leonard Nimoy, <laughs> yeah. for William Shatner, that they would spend good money for such bizarre, such kind of surreally misconceived projects. Yeah, They're like I, I, very I mean, strange I, mutations, all of them. But not only when you say the the wanting to hear it and you know didn't have access to it, like it was a good thing to slip in one of these instrumentations if you were making a mixtape for yeah. uh, for like kind of the weird girl that you had a crush on because she you know had a you know a, a weird earring or something like that, and you know, thought should we get a kick? You know, you throw in a couple of um, Depeche Mode songs and then. You know that instrumentation with the with the vocals of uh, of, of um, where no man has gone before. You know that'll win you a lot of points, maybe. Yeah, it's interesting. Actually, I'm doing uh, one of the projects for uh, my website, Nathan Raven's Happy Place, is a thing called uh, the Weird Accordion to Al. <laughs> um, and I, in it, I'm writing about every single Weird Al song in uh, order, in chronological order. I'm on 46 now. <laughs> I've got about 140 uh, more left to go. And on one of his albums, uh, blah, 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 he put in a, like a completely straight-faced cover of George of the Jungle. Uh, oh, don't I, of, don't I know it? That was my favorite yeah. cut on the album. <laughs> totally. And, at the time, and like looking back, I'm like, well, that's kind of weird that he only did one straight cover and it was for a cartoon theme song. But that's how I was introduced to George of the Jungle. Uh, I remember, you know, the 97 uh, Brendan Fraser movie came out. I'm like, oh, they made a movie based on that Weird Al song from 20 years ago. <laughs> so I think it's sort of uh, TV theme songs have this sort of uh, intense nostalgic uh, power for people, just as television shows from their youth have this incredible power. And I think that's one of the reasons why hearing an instrumental version of an old theme song uh, can be a weirdly uh, like moving, emotional, and like interesting thing to do. Well, you know, it's funny you say that because, uh, first of all, I remember when first hearing George the Jungle and getting into an argument with a friend, because we're like, what is that? You know, what is it a parody of? And this one guy was like, no, it's just pure Weird Al, man. He's just weird. <laughs> and I'm like, no, it's got to be from something. And I remember asking my parents, and they told me what it was. My mom did. And also, I remember my mother singing the theme to Mr. Ed to me as a kid. Oh, God. Yeah. And I was convinced that she 
was um, making it up to, to, to spoof me. And I'm like, she's like, no, when I was a kid, we watched this show about a talking horse. I'm like, you're out of your mind. I, and, and she would sing this. I'm like, you're just making these lyrics up as you go along. And we had to call like a cousin, like, uh, you know, that was my mom's age and be like, did you really watch a show called Mr. Ed? And, and the cousin's like, yeah, of course we did. Everybody watched Mr. Ed when we were kids. I'm like, oh boy, you know, this is a, it's a hell of a thing. So, you know, without the yeah. internet... You had to you had to be yeah. in touch with your relatives, you know. I mean, ridiculous, right? <laughs> That's true. Yeah, and again, like, yeah, God, I love Mr. Ed, and just just hearing you mention it, like the theme song uh, goes through my head. And I, again, I know I like I've forgotten pretty much everything uh, over the last forty one years, except <laughs> for the lyrics to Mr. Ed. Uh, <laughs> Mr. Ed. And there was apparently supposed to be a reboot, a TV reboot, a gritty reboot in the nineties. <laughs> Uh, Jack Candy, who's uh, a real genius, one of the great comedy writers, and Drake yeah. Sapp, they were behind it and never, never, never got off the ground. And I would love to either watch the YouTube clip or see the script. What would the, what uh, would the, the hip, uh, Mr. Ed uh, of today? Yeah, what, what would the gritty, the gritty Mr. Ed reboot be like? Like a uh, post-apocalyptic pro- Mr. Ed? Probably as like a like a rapper. Uh, <laughs> so for this time out. <laughs> Oh, man. So listen, one more of these. So we're still talking about the first album, um, which I knew of as as you were not alone. But then um, as far as the instrumentals, Brian, can we hear the clip which is called Beyond Antares? First of all, what is that sound that I'm hearing? It's a, it's a harp and a woman's voice. And now we got those keyboards. And listen to this synthesizer. Oh, no, that's the flute. Now, hardcore fans already know what we're hearing. But if you're having trouble placing it, let's play it through for a moment and hear that synthesizer because it's like a soothing, comforting pillow to me. (laughs) Oh, yes. I swear to God, I, I wore this tape through. I wore it so hard that you could hear side B as you were playing side A. Wow. Okay, so let's cut it off. So what you're hearing there, <laughs> for hardcore fans that know, that's a song that Ohura sings. Um, if you, you know, Ohura, of course, was established as a singer in the episode Charlie X, but she uh, continued to sing. Now, if you remember the episode Conscious of the King, one of my favorite ones from, from season one, that is what she sings to Riley as he's being given poison milk because he's lonely at his station by himself. And so she sings it over the intercom. And then it shows up again in The Changeling, Scott Movie Mance's favorite episode. No, that's not that's not the changing that he loves. He loves uh, Metamorphosis. But anyway, uh, she sings it in that one, too, before she gets her memory wiped. So when I was falling in love with the original series, I hadn't heard... I hadn't seen those episodes yet before I bought this tape because, you know, in no, reruns, they saying. played around. So I heard the song and I just thought it was like generic 60s, vaguely sci-fi melody that was on this tape for no reason. And then I got to these episodes and I'm like, oh, that's the song that I know. It's called, it's yeah, it's got lyrics too and everything. So it was a heavy day for me, man. Let me tell you. Yeah. So, so that was the first Leonard Nimoy album, and it was predominantly in the 
persona of Mr. Spock. And as his five albums proceeded, they would he would deviate a little bit. His second album was called Two Sides of Leonard Nimoy, and it was the first side A was all Spock stuff, which included humor, and then side B were, were the folk songs. But before we get to that, um, let's... I feel like I should, I should correct you. Uh, oh, yeah? You, you refer to Leonard Nimoy's music as both funny and containing humor. <laughs> uh, I would just like to say that those should both be in quotation marks. <laughs> Wait. Uh, because they're funny. They're humor. He's being clever. More so than it's like, yeah. Although I, di- I did laugh a lot at uh, William Shatner. Never intentionally. Wait, wait, wait. Uh, you didn't laugh at all during Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Earth? <laughs> well, I'm not sure if I... There's a, such a thing as laughing with an at. <laughs> Uh, I, I think I might have done some combination of the two with Twinkle, uh, Twinkle, Little Earth. <laughs> that one, that one contains one of the weirdest uh, pop culture references. That if you did not, if you had to have lived through the year 1968, and it couldn't have been later than 1971, because you would have had to look it up. What he's talking about the corned beef sandwich. Do you remember the corned beef sandwich line in that? In that no, song? no, no. What, what, what is the corned okay. beef? Okay, you know what, Brian? I think you might have a link for Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Earth. Oh, here we go. Let's hear a little bit of this. I, I don't. You don't. <laughs> Did I not include the link to Twinkle, I don't Twinkle, think Little Earth? So. All right. Well, you know what? That's. Hold on. I maybe I didn't include it, but you know we're gonna find it. Twinkle, twinkle, little earth. Yes, it's a it's a original music by, of course, William Amadeus Mozart. Twinkle, twinkle, little star, and it's one of these spoken word bits where Nimoy, as Spock, completely out of character because he's like, you know, the Vulcan Space Assembly has asked me to come here today to speak to you, and uh, yeah, all right, here we go. I've been asked to say a few words to Earth people about the stars. You see, I've been there. I came from the planet Vulcan. For centuries, you Earthlings have been starstruck. You've had your lucky star. You kiss when you see the first star at night. You have movie stars. And you wish upon a star. Have you considered the possibility that on a star, the star people wish upon an Earth? Whoa! For example, <laughs> Earth life. Hashtag mind Earth life. <laughs> First Earth I see tonight. Or, twinkle, twinkle, little Earth. How I wonder what you're worth. <laughs> Sounds strange? Well, on Cestus Omicron 3, the all-time hit song is Earth Dust. Cestus also, Omicron 3. <laughs> falling Earth. All right, that's enough. That's enough. That's enough. So, um, yeah, that's Twinkle Twinkle Little Earth. Now, I don't know. When I was 13, man, I thought that was a guess. What can I tell you? <laughs> it goes on like that for uh, some, some length afterwards. Yeah, yeah. It's like, it's like a 20 minute fish jam. It just goes on and on and on. But the gag specifically was this. Uh, later, he's talking about uh, the, the, the uh, president of Vulcan's wife has tried, has started a Let's Keep Space Beautiful campaign. And he's talking about space debris. So he says, we have to, remember, this is the height of the space race. So he goes, what about uh, cleaning up after yourselves, Earthlings, like those old uh, nose cones? And he's referring to the initial Mercury rockets and Gemini rockets that, um, you know, were just left in in the uh, space junk. And he says, um, 
he says we have to deal with nose cones and something else and even the occasional corned beef sandwich and as he says it you hear like a clarinet go blah, blah, blah. So it's like a little bit of like a Jewish moment right there. Yeah, yeah. This is core music. So it's like, that just sounds like just like random babble. Like you're wondering, did, did, did Leonard Nimoy have a stroke during this recording and he's just <laughs> saying things? But the corned beef sandwich line, I later learned, later in life, like 20 years later in life, I learned that that is based in a little bit of reality. Um, I was reading a book about... Uh, the space race, uh, the big, thick, meaty tome called From the Earth to the Moon, which was oh, yeah. what they based that HBO series on, the uh, Tom Cruise one. It's like a thousand pages long. Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks. Did I say Tom Cruise? I meant Tom Hanks. <laughs> Tom Cruise. Yeah. Big difference. Yeah. Big first name, very big stars, very different. So um, early in, in the space, before the Apollo program, um, there was a situation where uh, the astronauts, you know, they were always kind of goofing, being goofy, and they would try to sneak things That's on. That's what they were known for, yeah. for big, big goons. <laughs> well, they went to the moon, but primarily they were always playing pranks. Well, they were playing a little bit of pranks, and one of them was complaining. I think it was Gus Grissom was complaining about the food, right? They had to eat tang and paste all day, right? Yeah, yeah. So they were complaining about the food, so one of the guys... I want to say it was Deke Slayton, but I could be mistaken. On the Gemini program, s- snuck aboard um, a corned beef sandwich for him to eat in space, right? Wow. So, I, it's weird that you could would be able to sneak that on board. <laughs> there would be a couple of checks seeing as you're going to outer space and you're an astronaut. Well, now they have these checks. So what happened was... Yeah. Somebody snuck, and then he ate his corned beef sandwich in space, and it was like, hey, look at me. And, like, the NASA guys were like, and this is a little bit the Simpsons gag comes in, like, the little clog of the instruments. The NASA guys were like, what the hell? Like, you know, when you eat a sandwich, sometimes a little crumb comes out, especially in zero gravity, will come out of your mouth and might clog the instruments, just like on the Simpsons and when he's eating the potato chips. So it was like a little bit of a controversy, like, you know, these space cowboys flying around listening so it became like that was the, the when he got back to earth it was like from now on you cannot bring on shit on board you gotta run it by the boss first you can't just yeah. bring whatever you want and um it, it was the corned beef sandwich so like the year it happened like it was the big news item for a couple of weeks and like i would imagine that jack parr and whomever were the you know the jimmy fallons of the day were making jokes about it and like you know conservative Blowhards, but like these guys think they can do, you know, they don't have to follow rules. They're bringing sandwiches into space. I blame the Beatles. <laughs> so, anyway, topical relevant reference, you know, corned beef sandwich, it makes it onto the Spock album and it's there now forever, 50 years later. And yeah, that's, it, yeah, it, it's uh, kind of uh, listening to these, I just kept thinking like when they were conceptualizing these albums. <laughs> I was like, and also, like you, you would know better than I would. Was Leonard Nimoy a musician growing up? Did he have aspirations to be a singer? Was it always like kind of his deal, or was it a matter of you're famous for a TV now? Here's a recording contract. Yeah, no, Leonard Nimoy was wanted to make money. He uh, <laughs> he he was, and, and you know, he had a family. Yeah, in that respect. Yeah, no, no. He he did not turn down a damn thing. You, this is actually discussed in Adam Nimoy's documentary about his father for the love of Spock. When he got the gig, he had been a, a suffering, starving artist for a very long time. 
Um, and when he finally got the spot gig, he was like, I, they want me to appear at a at a pear festival in Oregon with Spock ears. I'm there. So yeah, pretty much yeah. while they were shooting Star Trek, he was gone every weekend squeezing as many Spock dollars as possible out of this. So the recording contract, you know, it started, it, these were novelty songs like Twinkle Twinkle Little Earth, but he could carry a tune enough that the other albums happen. I mean, the truth of the matter is that some of his vocals, and we'll get to the later albums in a little bit, were not that bad. He sounded a little bit like a Leonard Cohen type, you know? Uh, he, had a, he had a very interesting voice, and he had a very distinctive voice. Yeah. Um, you know, his version of If I Were a Carpenter, I swear, I'm not saying it's as good as Johnny Cash's version, <laughs> but it's not that bad. And some of his later stuff, it's got sort of like a Dylan-esque quality, and, you know, he I bet... Yeah, it was I, interesting. Uh, I actually, and this is actually, because uh, that was one of the songs I heard a while ago, and this was an experience that I had a fair amount listening to the music of uh, Leonard Nimoy. It was I'd hear a song, and I'd be like, wow, I really love this song. I wonder what it sounds like if somebody who can sing was singing it. <laughs> so for me, that led me to Leon Russell's version, uh, If I Was a Carpenter, which is so funny and like sexy and weird and kind of transgressive. And then you have Leonard Nimoy's version, which again has a quality to it but it's so earnest and sincere and if i was a carpenter you know he's, he's like he's declaiming all of these uh songs he's enunciating very clearly but again it's an interesting style and, and definitely over the course of these five albums uh yeah because he kind of goes from yeah there definitely is an evolution and, and by the end he's kind of doing kind of straight up country politan yeah, uh, yeah, it, 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 he's kind of like overproduced, uh, you know, overly formal, like very excessive uh, sort of country from that period. Yeah, I mean, he's got sort of like that um, of the era Grand Ole Opry or like on the Ed Sullivan show, like that sort of style, you know, it, it's yeah. um, it, it, it's very produced and very showbiz, right? Um, yeah. Which is weird because some of the song selections, they were like folk, you know, folk tunes of the day. He, you know, he, he did, um, you know, Pete Seeger, he did, he did If I Were a Carpenter and If I Had a Hammer. So he clearly had a thing for tools, right? I mean, there was yeah. that. <laughs> so, but. Uh, and, he <laughs> and then, of course, he did the Bilbo Baggins tune, which I'm sure you have uh, some thoughts oh, on because that's something that's, that's been shared for a long time. Uh, and that's probably his, I mean, that's, that's his, uh, the transformed man. You know, I kind of feel like that is his claim to, to fame. Uh, and it is every bit as kind of uh, surreally misguided guided uh, as you could possibly imagine it also seemed like i don't know it seemed like uh, sort of geek minds maybe weren't as compartmentalized uh as they are now back then so it's like yeah you know yes this is star trek but why can't the big song from it also be about lord of the rings <laughs> exactly the clamorous ditty about lord of the rings too you'd figure a song about lord of the rings you know it'd be like prog it would be serious you know you'd have your big orchestration but instead it's like one of those like dee 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 do 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 uh, kind of ditties uh that uh that kind of fill his albums along with you know sort of these ponderous anthems and these covers and a lot going on not not all that transcendent not all that actually that good but a lot going on in each of these five albums <laughs> i gotta say that i don't much care for the bilbo baggins tune i find it to be really annoying it's super uh, annoying yeah <laughs> kind of intentionally so almost you know it's it's, it's a real earwig you know yeah and there are so many great rock songs about lord of the rings I mean, zeppelin did one and uh, uh zeppelin did more than one actually they mentioned 
they mentioned uh, Tolkien things a few times. But uh, before we talk about, before we shift gears and transform over to the great William Shatner, can we, Brian, just hear a little bit of the tune You Are Not Alone, which I genuinely find to be a touching song about, um, again, it's got that sort of late 60s lush orchestration and it, uh, that harp and a little bit nice melody. Have you ever wondered as you gazed up at the sky Watching stars like diamonds shining there on high That somehow in that great unknown You may find you are not alone See this song I think could have been a, a big hit if, if it was market, let, let me explain myself. It's the height of the space race. So people are really into the concept of aliens and whatnot. And this is just a, a, a sort of an emotional, I don't want to say a love song, but a romantic song about somebody looking for something else to find that you are not alone. And then tweaking it a little bit with the science fiction gimmick. You know, it's it's if the song was not about looking up at the stars and there's talk about other planets, what and instead it's like gazing out at a meadow or an ocean or whatever, this could have been a, a pop hit by by anyone else of the era. And the singing is almost good enough. His voice is is decent. It's not great, but it's decent enough. And there's a, there's another universe out there where that song was a big hit. Am I crazy to think that? No, I mean, it, it certainly has a, a certain charm, a certain sophistication, a certain appeal to it. Uh, listening to it just now, I felt like I can see myself, uh, I can see Morrissey covering it. You know, it's got kind of that sort of late 60s, lonely, melancholy, kind of showy, theatrical kind of quality to it. Uh, but I could see, yeah, uh, yeah, I could totally see him doing that, doing justice to it. Doing justice to it. Network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Welcome back to Engage, the official Star Trek podcast with your host, Jordan Hoffman. You are, after all, irrational. So, Nathan, as someone who's written, you've written a book called My, My Year of Flops, and you've blogged my world of flops for from years and years where you celebrate things that are either critically uh critically um uh what pan or that were commercial failures um kind of one of the classics in recorded music is william shatner's the transform man and you shared with me a moment ago where you said you had never actually listened to it from beginning to end before this i, week. I had not no i'd heard of it i'd seen references to it i'd seen spoofs i'd seen jokes and i knew of it but for some reason i'd never experienced it myself <laughs> so let's set the scene you go to your spotify account you think oh <laughs> christ i gotta be on hoffman's show what did he what did he wrote me in for you put on your headphones and what tell the listeners about the transformed man Oh, dear blessed God. Where to begin with The Transformed Man? The Transformed Man is an album unlike any other, uh, and that is a very, very good thing. Uh, in that half of The Transformed Man consists of William Shatner performing famous soliloquies from classical literature, such as Shakespeare and Cyrano de Bergerac, then the other half of it is in performing in a similarly dr 
similarly melodramatic, similarly self-parodying, similarly uh, hyperventilating, over-the-top style uh, song lyrics of the day, uh, including uh, "Sorry to to do Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds," which. You know, the phrase, you need to see it to believe it, you need to hear it to believe it, it gets thrown around an awful lot uh, these days. That is 100% true of uh, Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. I was laughing long and hard at the song. <laughs> it, I mean, honestly, like I, I just kept thinking, like, where was the person who said... Bill, I know you have a very healthy ego. I know you're quite fond of yourself. I know you think you can do just about anything, and you've got like this weird recitation thing going on. This is a terrible idea. This isn't just a terrible idea. This is like a series of terrible ideas glued together to form like a Voltron terrible idea. Because it's him doing Shakespeare, which theoretically, that's kind of his wheelhouse. He's an actor. Even that's a terrible idea. Oh, you're showing to the world that you're not a good actor. You're showing to the world that you're everything people make fun of you about. You're, yeah, you're, you're not helping yourself. Well, I, 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 I'm going to disagree with you because if it was, okay. if it was a terrible idea, we wouldn't still yeah. be talking about it. It was a that mess. is true. It's, it's, it's a well. It's well. There are some terrible ideas. I mean, we're we're talking about you know the day the clown cried, uh, <laughs> and I don't think that anybody is talking about that as a wonderful idea that should have been you know brought into the world. Uh, uh, and this is, yeah, I, I would say all it would need would be, you know, being completely un, uh, inaccessible in order to be the day of the clown cry. <laughs> you know um, what? Let, let, uh, let's let's hear a few. Uh, let's hear a few moments uh, from uh, the Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. That's sort of the classic track. Brian, can we can we cue that one up now? This comes out of a recitation of I think it's Baudelaire's poetry. Yeah, and then he goes from Baudelaire into. All right, so far not so bad. <laughs> Picture yourself in a boat on a river with tangerine trees and marmalade <laughs> skies. Somebody calls you, you answer oh quite slowly. A girl with kaleidoscope eyes. <laughs> Cellophane flowers of yellow and green towering over your head. <laughs> oh, the girl with a sun in her eyes. And she's gone. Oh, God. No more. <laughs> Well, you know, let me tell you something. Risk is our business. You know, yeah. that's what Captain Kirk always said. You're going to do it. You're going to do it big. You're going to recite Shakespeare and Baudelaire and Cyrano de Bergerac, and then you're going to go into an overproduced weirdo recitation of of Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds with echo effects. Yeah. And 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 do it uh, an overmodulated too. I mean, just just oh, belt it out. No second take on that. Just belt it out. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Uh, it's it's a hell of a thing. Uh, and it's not just that. It's also Mr. Tambourine Man is on there, and 
Um, his, his master of and like his ideas about what songs are are fascinating to me because with him and Leonard Nimoy, they're approaching these songs as actors. So they're like, "Where is the drama? Where is the conflict within this song?" Uh, so, like for example, Mister Tambourine Man, he seems to uh, be stalking Mister Tambourine Man. He seems to be not killing Mister Tambourine Man. He's just like yelling, "Tambourine Man!" Yeah, he is. He's like, it's almost like, have you seen Mr. Tambourine Man? It's like, like, I think he's like a, like a musical, like the children enjoy. I'm not sure that he's like uh, Mike Myers, Jason Voorhees type figure. (laughs) I just, I want to know what was going on inside William Shatner's mind when he conceptualized this and when he performed it. It's it's hard Um, to know. I mean, and and also who are the adults who said, this is a good idea. We're going to bankroll this and then we're going to distribute it professionally. Well, I mean, he wasn't alone. He did have producers working with him, a fellow by the name of Don Ralk. And the uh, instrumentations were written by, I believe, a fellow by the name of Frank Davenport. Uh, So, you know, he had some co-conspirators in in all this, Um, you know, and and sometimes you get a bunch of people together and, and, and they try something new and it doesn't always work out. You know, the other track on there, which is amazing, is the... um, it was a very good year with the Sinatra tune, oh, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he sounds so like <gasps> it was like he's like he's like a lawyer in court explaining how the year was good, you know, like damn it, it was a very good year and here are my reasons why. And it's uh there's almost something a little bit Trumpian in his delivery there where he's like bragging about what a good year it was for 17 year old girls. Uh, that's the other thing. Again, we're talking about, you know, sort of the, the divide between acting and, and, and music. And you look at Frank Sinatra, who kind of <laughs> the opposite of that, where he was a brilliant singer and he was a, an actor in a singing and he kind of performed the emotions he performed, you know, it embodied his characters. Then he went on to, you know, segue to being like a very good, very naturalistic, very realistic actor. Uh, whereas with William Shatner, you have the opposite thing going on where you're an incredibly happy and incredibly stylized actor. And then you go over to music sort of uh and not only do you like not i don't know seed any ground but you turn music into this bizarre uh, sort of cathedral for your unique style of acting yeah i mean it's 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 something that is very unique there are not many albums like the transformed man and you know, it's it's hard to listen to all the way through. It's a bit much. You know, it, it it's not yeah. mellifluous, but it's it's so strange, and it comes from. I really do think that it came from uh, a really good place. He wanted to do something new. You know, he saw his his colleague Nimoy doing an album, and the first one, as we mentioned, was a little bit more gimmick than than singer songwriter stuff. It right. was it was a lot of the gimmick stuff. And um, he said, no, I don't want to do that. He doesn't perform as Kirk in this. Although the name on the record when it first came out, it said William Shatner, sort of parentheses, the, you know, Star Trek's Captain Kirk. Um, so that was the marketing was there. But he, he doesn't perform as the captain. There's nothing science fiction about this. He said, I'm going to you want me to do an album. I'm going to do a thing that plays to my strengths, which is Shakespeare soliloquy. And I think his, <laughs> his, his Henry V bit is OK. I mean, it's kind of cool. Big. It's big. It's big, but it's it's 
it's all right. You know, I don't know. It is what it is. I, I, I was not bored by the No, end. you were not bored. I, I was I would definitely, if I were to do it for my world of flops, which I couldn't because it's too, too much of a cult success, uh, it would definitely be a secret success because I laughed a lot. There's nothing like it. It definitely deserves to exist in part so that you can wonder how it can exist. That's totally fair. Like, I want to know, um, you know, of the people, like, what, you know, um, just how... You know, the the producer of this thing, just how spaced out on drugs was he when he when he allowed oh. those those echoey sound effects, you know? Um, but then the other thing is, you know, it is totally on his own terms. And then that was it. He did this and that was it. And then he didn't really record again until he was already famous William Shatner. He did some sort of voiceover stuff with symphony orchestras for original works where he did the narration. And then he did, as we mentioned earlier, the Ben Fold stuff. And then later, um, the songs where he was sort of uh, tweaking his own self-image. The other... Fo- yeah, go ahead. I, oh, there was an album from 2013 uh, called Behold the Mystery. Uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but I, I, I was kind of going through my uh, internet rabbit hole on there. Uh, and it's pretty fascinating. It's him uh, basically still doing his uh, spoken word uh, thing, but with a bunch of like uh, kind of musical, musical virtuosos. Uh, so you'll have Stevie Vai uh, doing his Stevie Vai thing, and then Shatner will be intoning space <laughs> poetry kind of thing, but without uh, sort of Ben Folds there to kind of lend you know certain element of irony to it, a certain bittersweet cro- uh, quality to it, a certain self consciousness a certain kind of wry dance between sort of camp and, and sincerity whereas when it's just william shatner and all these weird old dudes um there's nothing like that it's just pure self-parody it's uh, it's pretty crazy yeah that album i do remember when that came out and it, it wasn't as fun as the as the ben faults one no no yeah. no and you just see he, he if left to his own devices he will create something that sometimes is bizarrely fascinating and people talk about it forever because it's so hilariously terrible yeah like, the transfer mad and then sometimes you know he'll do something and it's just <laughs> did it did a dog just jump on a computer there uh no my dog uh just barked uh yeah. because the monsters you come by every three o'clock uh, with the lin blowers are here trying <laughs> Out of, out of, out of their their round view here. Well, you know the the you know we another thing you know Shatner maybe this is another episode. Uh, Shatner has directed his his fair share of motion pictures, and you know le- his last uh, most recent output has been a lot of these uh, documentaries about Star Trek, including The Captains, which is probably the most famous one. But he also did put out a movie called Groom Lake, which co-starred the late Dick Van Patten, and is a science fiction conspiracy film. Excuse me. That um, is one of the most fascinating bits of outsider art you'll ever see, um, and it was uh, made, I guess, in the late 1990s. Although it didn't actually get released until like 2008 or so. And um, in it, the 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 league of evil, nefarious future scientists um, they dominate the globe uh, and launch NASA rockets from their IMAX because they were the new IMAX that had just come out that were blue. Remember those? And they were like kind of spooky and weird looking. So that is, um, that's the one thing I really remember from, from Groom Lake. It's a bed of IMAX. So, uh, so yeah. Um, so, you know, we got to start wrapping this up. But Nathan, uh, there, there's one very important 
William Shatner performance that we really need to discuss. And it, it didn't, um, it wasn't on the Transform Man, which was recorded in 68, but it was an event that happened in 1978 at the uh, Science Fiction... Um, uh, Sci- the Science Fiction Film Awards? The Science Fiction Film Awards in 1978, <laughs> when uh, I believe it was Karen Allen gave an award to Bernie Taupin, uh, who, of course, was Elton John's co-writer uh, for, for for writing the lyrics to Rocket Man. And Bernie Taupin said, thank you very much for this award, blah, blah, blah. And now to help, uh, you know, uh, celebrate Rocket Man, I introduce to you uh, William Shatner, who was wearing a tuxedo, sitting on a stool, and sucking on a, a cigarette. And he gave a dramatic reading of Rocket Man. Now, Nathan, I'm sure you're familiar with this clip, yes? Oh my God, yes, I certainly am. <laughs> yeah. well, that's another one that I, that I have laughed long and hard about, and it gave me a lot of joy. So thank you, uh, William Shatner, for that. Yeah. Now, uh, Brian, uh, when I sent him the clip earlier today, he knew it only from Family Guy. You didn't know it was a real thing, right? I'm trying to think back if I did or not, but I mean, I wasn't as familiar with... Uh, the first time I saw it was Family Guy, absolutely. I may have gone back at some point and looked at it, but my definite first exposure was Family Guy, and I was very confused at the time. <laughs> so let's just hear a moment or two. Uh, let's hear at least up until when he gets high as a kite. Back my bag. Last night, pre-flight. Pre-flight. Zero hour. 9 a.m. And I'm gonna be high. <laughs> As a kite, I think. Could you just imagine being in the audience for this? <laughs> imagine the mortification. Miss the earth so much. I miss my wife. It's lonely. Out in space. Do you think he's winging it or did he rehearse it? On um, such a tired flight. And I think it's going to be a long, long time to touchdown. God bless you, William Shatner. Not the man they think I am back home. Oh, no, no, no. I'm a rocket man. Now, I believe here's where on the video it's like it freeze frames and he walks away from himself. Burning out his fuse. Not quite yet. It's a little little further in, but... Oh, yeah, there it goes. I think it's going to be a long, long time. Touchdown, bring me around again. Fine, I'm not the man they think I am. Oh, no, no, no. I'm a rocket man. So good. Rocket man. Burning out his fuse out here alone. Do you want a, a, a captain who plays it safe all the time? And only do, you want a captain who's going to go on an award show and and just, you know go to warp 10 and and do something crazy you know and memorable you, you, you want a rocket man uh <laughs> for captain. you don't want some boring normal dude who doesn't do things that are completely insane for some reason no it's the right thing satisfy his creative muse it really is something special i mean the the, the alchemy in the stew uh between 
Shatner and Nimoy, Shatner and Nimoy and DeForest Kelly and and Roddenberry and Gene Kuhn and all these all these different personalities. It, it's a it's a it's a stew that could never be recreated. Uh, that's what makes Star Trek so magical. I mean, you know, they tried Star Trek without Shatner, Jeffrey Hunter. It didn't work. You need William Shatner yeah, for Star Trek. You know, he was Jesus. Yeah, and Triton Jeffrey Hunter was Jesus. And even he Jesus wasn't good enough. William Shatner could do. You know, it, it, it really is. So it's easy to make fun of Shatner. And then, you know, he, he got it. You know, eventually, his second half of his career, his post-Star Trek career, Denny Crane, which, you know, on its own is nothing to sneeze at. I mean, that was an extremely popular show. He made, you know won Emmy Awards and made a boatload of money, and then the Priceline gig kind of fed off of Rocket Man. Really, that persona of this weird type of... This guy has no... Um, you know, he'll do anything. He's daring enough to do anything. He's proud of his abilities, and he's going to do it. He's going to sit on stage in a tuxedo and speak Rocket Man at you, and that's why he's great. And Nimoy also, you know, he would do that. He's living life to the fullest. He's living life to the fullest. Um, now, uh, it's time for us to go. We've had you on the horn for a while, Nathan. I want to thank you so much. But before we let you go, Brian, there was one more track I sent you, which was just called Alien, which was the spoken word piece. Can we hear the beginning of this? And then we'll say goodbye to Nathan, who's going to go back to Nathan Rabin's happy place where he's... Uh, reviewing every weird Al Yankovic song ever recorded in Does that include the B-sides and the, and the, and the demos? It's, well, actually, one of the things that uh, kind of spawned this is he's putting out a career-spawning uh, uh, box set uh, cased within an accordion. <laughs> uh, so uh, one, of the, one of the discs on it is going to be a Rarities and B-sides uh, disc. A bunch of songs that have never been released before. So I'm, I don't know why I'm, I'm uh, plugging his work as he's very successful. <laughs> but check that out in September. Uh, uh, and uh, yeah, it's, it's, been a, it's been a wonderful experience. Awesome. Uh, and it's only getting better. It's only getting better. Well, that's at NathanRaven.com. So, Brian, let's hear a little bit about from, other stuff. from the land of endless night come I, an alien from afar, spewing forth onto your pleasant sphere, so much like you and yet so unalike. I believe that's how it begins. From the land of endless night come I, an alien from afar, spewing forth upon you a pleasant sphere, so much like you, and yet so unalike. Wow. Am I the you that you once were? The you when your world was new? Am I the you before? The you you were when your world was new? Or am I the you that you will be tomorrow? Through me you see your future or your past. I know not which. For I come from that spark of light so far in space, your mind the distance could not comprehend. This is poetry. <laughs> it was once mine. I love that fiddler on the roof. calls to me when I look up into the void. <laughs> but it is not the verdant place your planet is that warms and cools you as the seasons go. Oh no. Oh no. <laughs> 
My mind recalls a seething cauldron flung among the stars and satellites and galaxies of boundless time. All right. The stars and galaxies of boundless times. Uh, Nathan, thanks again for joining us. Uh, If listeners want to follow you on Twitter, is it just your name or do you have a catchy handle there? Nope, it's just Nathan Rabin. Okay, not like Nathan C. Rabin or N. Rabin 66. Just Nathan Rabin. All right, good. Well, they can do that. And they just. Yeah, definitely go to NathanRabin.com, which is, uh, you know, a relatively new website, which is backed by Patreon. So it means that Nathan can do all the weird uh, underbelly of culture stuff without uh, having to have editors say yes to his pitches. And if you like reading his stuff, and you probably do, uh, you can you can give as little as a a dollar a month and you can be one of his his patrons and and know that you're doing the right thing. So... um, (laughs) I want to say thank you so much for coming on. This was uh, all, all I could hope for and more. I'm glad I made you listen to The Legend of Bilbo Baggins and The Transformed Man. Thanks so much. All right, cool. So, Nathan, again, thanks for doing this. I really appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.